Hello, this is Examiner Radio, the weekly radio show and podcast that covers news, politics, and all things Halifax. I'm Tim Bousquet, editor of the Halifax Examiner, which is available online at halifaxexaminer.ca. Also in studio is Examiner Radio producer Russell Gregg. Hey, Russ. Hey, Tim. How are things? Uh, beautiful summer. Yeah. Winding on down. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll get some work done one of these days. It could happen. Yeah. Man. And you? Uh, just uh, working hard. Um, the, the, yeah, you are. I thought this was a four-day work week. Uh, it's a, it's a six-day work week. Same, same amount of work, no matter how many days we have to go to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is episode 73 of Examiner Radio. And as always, you can listen to the show at CKDU Radio 88.1 FM in Halifax on Fridays at 4.30 or online anywhere in the world at www.ckdu.ca. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and have each new episode automatically delivered to your device of choice. Just search for Halifax Examiner in the iTunes search engine, and it'll be the first result. Please take a moment to rate and review the show while you're there or not, and you will also always find uh, the episodes of uh, Examiner Radio on the Halifax Examiner website every Friday afternoon. Today we have Lisa Roberts and Andy Arsenault in the studio they are the NDP and PC candidates, respectively, for the upcoming uh, Halifax Needham by-election, and we'll be uh, speaking with them shortly. First up, uh, let's do Week in Review. Okay. Uh, so, wow, uh, the Peter Kelly story keeps going. Peter Kelly swears he did nothing wrong during his tenure as CAO in uh, Westlock uh, County, Alberta. And Westlock County Reeve Bra- uh, Bud Massey backed Kelly as well, uh, allegedly telling Charlottetown Mayor Clifford Lee that uh, Kelly didn't do anything yeah. improper during his uh, tenure there. And in fact, told uh, the whistleblower or referred to the allegedly referred to uh, Sue, Oberg. Sue Oberg, the whistleblower, uh, who was the former Westlock County CFO, uh, that she was dead wrong. Yeah. In in just the past few weeks, uh, Bob Massey has stepped down as the Reeve. Just last week. Um, uh, and this comes in, I obtained over last weekend um, a, a letter from the law firm hired by the Westlake County to look into this, this matter. And they wrote a letter to the uh, CFO of the county, the chief financial officer of the county. And um, it spells out in great detail exactly how the lawyer thinks um, um, Peter Kelly violated the Municipal Government Act um, and did other improper deeds. And she, the lawyer, was of the opinion that uh, Peter Kelly was liable personally for uh, uh, almost $200,000, $194,000 that the the county was out, but went on to say that – you know, actually collecting that money would be an uniffy proposition. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it looks like the the deal or the the set of circumstances that has flowed out of that is the county is not pursuing legal action, but Bud Massey, the Reeve you were discussing, has resigned as Reeve. Okay. I want to read a, a, a little bit from here. 
uh, from this uh, from this letter, if we could. Uh, so uh, the lawyer, whose uh, name is Kelsey Becker Brooks, and she's with the firm uh, Reynolds, Mirth, Richards, and Farmer, which is a, a very, I mean, I'm from Edmonton. It's a very high-profile Yeah, they, they do most there. of They're, the municipal government yeah. stuff for all the counties in, yeah. in uh, Alberta. Uh, so she writes in the, in the letter, as explained regarding the Horizon North project, there were a number of unusual procedures followed by Mr. Kelly with respect to his dealings with Horizon North and the Horizon North project. In summary, it appears Mr. Kelly undertook to negotiate the enhancement and leasing of the lands to Horizon North with an option to purchase, mainly on his own without input from finance or others in administration and without seeking the prior approval of counsel when required or appropriate. Uh, this approach has resulted in Westlaw County spending approximately $375,706.52 on the Horizon North project, which amount was not budgeted for or otherwise authored by council. So from our review of the relevant documents and information gathered during the investigation by Westlaw County, we conclude that Mr. Kelly has breached his duties to Westlaw County as CAO. And the following is a summary of the most significant breaches, and she lists 12 yeah. separate breaches. Yeah. Um, now, we've covered this in detail in the uh, on the website, the mm-hmm. Halifax Examiner, so uh, listeners who are curious about those details can go to that, and they can read this letter as well mm-hmm. on the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all in all, uh, it's a... Uh, it's a damning document, and uh, it, it really, again, like I, I almost feel like we should have like a, a, a countdown clock on the website uh, <laughs> to November first, which is the end of uh, Peter Kelly's uh, probationary period in Charlottetown as as their new uh, CAO. You know, I know that people think I harp on this, but uh, I think it's important to hold people accountable, and to more importantly to document how misdeeds and and screw-ups and and so forth are papered over uh, mm-hmm. by our officialdom so that we, so it doesn't happen again uh, in the case of Peter Kelly you know he was a, a counselor for the old town of Bedford and mayor of Bedford and then a HRM counselor and then mayor of HRM and uh, you know in those responsibilities he um, really did not have his hands on the checkbook, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, councillors and mayors vote to make financial decisions, but actually implementing them is done by by staff, right? He's only been in that position three times that I can see. One, as executor of an estate, um, and we know what happened there. Right. He um, transferred $160,000 from the dead woman's personal bank account to his own control. Mm-hmm. The second time, he should not have been in control of finances, but effectively was, and that was in Halifax's concert scandal, and you know ended up approving, um, in the end, $400,000 that the city lost. And the third time, he has been CAO of Westlake County, and here, here's another screw-up. Uh, the track record ain't good. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Uh, uh, if I if I were a betting man, um, I'd I'd say chances are that uh, we will see something come out of uh, Charlottetown. Mm-hmm. Well, as I said, we have less than three months. Less than three months till uh, you know we see whether he manages to make it through his probationary period. You oh, think or he will? You yeah, oh yeah. I think there's no question that he will. Um, this is how. Officialdom works in, in Atlantic Canada. 
not just Atlantic Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the late and yet not lamented unique solutions. Oh yeah. So this, this came, uh, down the pipe on Tuesday. I think they officially, uh, declare bankruptcy. Yes. Uh, well, no, they, they have not filed for bankruptcy. They, they seized operations and said they were effectively will go in the okay. bankruptcy. Okay. But, uh, why is this significant? Well, I mean, I wouldn't care if it was just some company out there. I mean, people are free to start businesses and succeed or fail. And it's really none of my business, right? Uh, it becomes my business when, uh, when public money is involved. And this was the Nova Scotia taxpayer through Nova Scotia Business Inc. has contributed $5.6 million into Unique Solutions. And that money has evaporated. It's gone. Uh, so it's it's very much a, a reportable and important story. This is $5.6 million over what period of time? This was a series of, of investments. This wasn't a one-time. No, it was, it was four very large investments in the, in, uh, from about 2008 through 2010, as I recall. And, um, yeah, it, it was uh, an equity stake, uh, but not um, they don't have any lien on, on claims on, on the company. The money's just gone. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there theoretically aren't really much assets anyways. No. I mean, even if they were a creditor. R- right. Right. So. Right. And, and they're not a creditor. So. Uh, so why did the Nova Scotia government, through the, through the auspices of, of the NSBI, why did they invest in this company in particular? Do well, you know? I think to me, it, it's um, absurd. Here's it, the company was started by a woman named Tanya Shaw, and she graduated out of the costume design program at Dalhousie. You know, I'm sure that's a worthy program, and she started a, a sewing pattern business. Okay, and I, you know, I have no idea about the success of of that term of the business, but then, uh, you know, she got some tech people involved, and it became a technology business. The whole idea was that uh, they had these scanning booths, sort of like you see at airports, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, People would go stand in these booths and get scanned, and the Unique Solutions would have their measurements, and they would match them up to clothes that they could buy. The idea, the uh, sometimes stated outright, um, but not very loudly, um, was basically they were going after customers who might have body image problems. Right. Uh, so that they wouldn't have to try on clothes and experience what the, what the company called uh, size shock. Uh, All right. Yeah, that's that's from that's from a brochure, huh? That's <laughs> from the that's, website. that's from the former uh, one of the former uh, chair of the boards. Wow. Uh, okay. And uh, so anyway, they they put all these uh, scanning booths over seventy in U.S. shopping malls, and it utterly failed. And they pulled them all out, uh, and then they tried to repurpose the. The company in several different ways, uh, trying to do uniforms for Canada Post, tried to do, um, and somehow changed the technology to do a handheld wand, Uh, but none of these came to fruition, and uh, they finally just called it quits the other day, uh, with something like a hundred million dollars in an operating deficit. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was eighty-four million in twenty thirteen, so it's gone up from there, undoubtedly. Uh, so yeah, and uh, 5.6 million of that was uh, uh, Nova Scotia taxpayer money. Yeah, I, you know, the number boggles the mind. 
what what is the point of NSBI? Why should the provincial government be getting involved with funding private businesses? I yeah. mean, isn't that what you know, you, you you come up with an idea, you start a company, maybe you put it on, on the, you know, the public market and you, you know, you raise. Yeah, you succeed or fail on your own merits. Yeah. Uh, now, I should explain that uh, actually investing directly into companies with an equity stake, uh, the McNeil government did away with that uh, their first year in power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we no longer purchase stock in companies. Uh, now Nova Scotia Business Inc. is more oriented towards the payroll rebates uh, and loan front. Uh, there's other wings of government that still have these equity stakes out there, and I'm not sure the current status of them. But about uh, some years ago, NSBI wrote down about two-thirds of the value of their equity stakes across the board, which um, is a hell of a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That So I don't know. Cynically, um I don't see an end to this ever. <laughs> uh, the appeal of jobs will just, uh, supposed jobs will just be too too great. And uh, through the uh, previous PC and, and NDP governments, the idea was that uh, we were going to increase exports uh, by investing in these companies. And now uh, payroll rebates are still given to companies uh, who have some sort of product they're selling outside of the, the uh province yeah. uh, with the idea of bringing you know cash flow into the province yeah i'm, I'm skeptical of, of all this out of curiosity do you know how many jobs unique solutions actually created uh, beyond tanya shaw's well at one point they had a few hundred uh workers across the united states and they were all laid off at once uh, right. well, that, was, which that doesn't was, really benefit nova yeah. scotia at, at closure um on tuesday they had 22 people in in dartmouth working yeah all right Okay. Uh, Do we want to talk about rats? (laughs) Well, you know, uh, CBC had an article Thursday about uh, a bunch of rats coming above ground around the Winston Churchill statue, which is a park, which I never knew it was called this, the Grafton Park. Did you know that? No, I had no idea. Yeah, that that bit of green space in front of the the library. And people have been... uh, kind of horrified by just how uh, blatant and obvious the rats have been. They're coming out in daytime eating with the pigeons is the quote, <laughs> right? You know? Um, and uh, so, yeah. And, you know, some when I worked at the coast many years ago, Leslie Lode wrote, I think, w- w- the definitive article about rats in, in Halifax, and, and it's worth going back and reading that. But uh, uh, the gist of it is that, uh, y- yeah, there's r- lots of rats here. It's a harbor town, and they like disturbed areas, disturbed ground. So the old dump, the old city dump that's around the corner of Coburg and, and uh, Roby Street, mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of rats in that area, lots of rats on the waterfront, which is all fill area. Yep. The other place that is kind of unsettled ground is the old Pauper's graveyard, which is where uh, the old library is yeah. is built on. Yeah, and they yeah. just and of course uh, the developer is, has been blasting and raising the Doyle block right next door. Mm-hmm. Uh, no doubt, sending many many rats looking for new homes and uh, opening up tunnels in the old graveyard. Uh, and <laughs> so here we are, lots lots of rats. Uh, have you have you come across? Not no. there. Okay. Uh, I see rats all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, in my 
walkings around. And yeah, I have noticed this year that uh, uh, there's more out in the daytime. I guess it's a weather related mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, what can Halifax do about that? Nothing. <laughs> Might as well try getting rid of the mosquitoes. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't work. Yeah, we live in a harbor town. Um, there's rats. I mean, obviously, there's cleanliness and traps to do in our own buildings and homes and so forth, and closing off entrances. But uh, rats will always be out in the public out here. Um, Maybe we could import uh, some members of Alberta's Rat Patrol and uh, p- uh, police the borders and ensure no rats. Uh, yeah, they don't have a port. <laughs> True. True. Yeah. Okay. Okay, let's take a break here on Examiner Radio. When we come back, we'll speak with Lisa Roberts and Andy Arsenault, who are the NDP and PC candidates for uh, the by-election coming up on August 30th in Halifax, Needham. You are listening to Examiner Radio. Okay, we're joined in the studio today with Lisa Roberts and Andy Arsenault, who are candidates in the upcoming by-election for Halifax Needham. Hello. Hi, hi, how are you doing? Very good. Thanks for coming in. You're welcome. Thanks for having us, Tim. Uh, I should say that we did invite Rod Wilson, the liberal candidate, to join us today, and for whatever reason, they declined, and we'll speak about that in a minute, but we weren't going to let that interfere with having you two on, so uh, thanks for coming. Let's just uh, start, maybe you can tell us about yourselves. Uh, Andy, you're the PC candidate. Who are you? Well, um, I'm a public servant for since my early 20s. I was in the RCMP at uh, 22 years of age. And a uh, very short stint in Manitoba and then came to Halifax in the uh, early 70s. And I've been in and out of Halifax ever since. I worked here. Uh, my first home in uh, in Halifax was in Halifax Needham on Kennard Street. Lived there for three years right across from the Halifax Commons uh-huh. and loved every second of it. So, yeah, I've been in public service all my life. And so I decided that my career is at the back end now. I still run a little company doing financial crime investigations, but decided that, you know, it wasn't a bad uh, to work with the public and try and uh, help them out as best I can with my experiences. And so I was approached by some really good friends of mine who said I should give politics a run because I'm forever talking about it. My interest is keen. Yeah. 
So I thought about it, and then when the opportunity in Needham uh, presented itself, with a little encouragement from my friends, I put my name forward. Okay. And we should say you, you were, for the first part of your career, an RCMP cop. And, yes. And uh, now you're an uh, investigator. And, uh, in between, there's several other careers. Okay. And, yeah. and you've lived in the district. Now you live slightly outside of the district, but yeah. I don't think anyone will hold that against you. Well, I had a business in the Hydrostone for yeah. almost five years, and I worked in Needham for 20 years. So yeah. I think that makes me... Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. yeah. Lisa? Um, I am, I do live in the district. I'm a mom. Um, and there's something about early childhood, which embeds you very intensely in community. My, my son went to Needham preschool and my kids have done swimming lessons at Needham recreation center. Um, I used to be a journalist. I was at CBC casually and, and as a kind of summer fill in off and on over 10 years and then was five years full time with information morning. Um, until after my son was born in 2010, and and then in in the six years since then, I've I've been in a process of increments, leaving behind journalism, and I say that I'm now fully out of it, um, and really getting involved in community development and community work. So for two and a half years, I was the facilitator for a project called the North End Community Circle. Uh, a project that was started by the Community Justice Society and then moved into Veith House in 2014. And the goal of that project really has been to connect residents with each other, to build social capital on a neighbourhood level, so to connect some of the diverse communities that exist in Halifax Needham where sometimes sometimes there aren't a lot of relationships that go go across the whole community. and also, uh, a kind of a side project of that almost was to create the North End Roundtable, which is has been a very successful um, networking space for North End nonprofits and also public agencies. So Jennifer Watts, who's the um, community um, the, the the rep for the North End on uh, Halifax Council, most often participates. So do, do staff from Halifax Recreation, um, and so that's a that's a monthly meeting of of a whole bunch of different folks that was happening for a long time at Veith House, and now because it's gotten so big, has moved to the North Branch Library. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And just for full disclosure, um, you probably worked at Morning uh, Information Morning when I was a regular guest there, but I never recall actually interacting with you. So just to put that out there. Yeah. So, this election was called last weekend on a Saturday, uh, Saturday of a three-day weekend. Uh, the election is called for the last Tuesday in August before another three-day weekend. It appears to me that uh, the Liberals are hoping for a low ver- voter turnout, and they think that somehow benefits them. Uh, they declined our invitation to join us today. I, I would just say up front, I, I don't play that game. I mean, they can come or not. Uh, they didn't. They decided uh, not to come. Uh, you know, that, that, that's their choice, but we went ahead with this uh, with just the two of you. I, I wonder if quickly either of you had any thoughts on the timing of the election. I mean, it's... It's somewhat challenging. Uh, certainly, um, you know, I was we were scrambling a bit over the weekend, but I think my my main concern is that people hear about it, and I, I certainly understand why people would rather be kind of checked out and at the beach. But um, I do think it's it's important that Halifax Needham have a representative in Province House, and and certainly we're you know we've got our campaign office up, and there's lots of 
NDP uh, supporters in the community who are who are turning out and volunteering. And, so we'll work with what we're dealt. And, and you, Andy? Well, I, for one, I'm suspicious that they uh, were hoping it would work to their benefit, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and uh, on that and uh, go from there. Um, it's a great opportunity, no matter what, no matter how long this election is, and. Uh, I think Lisa's like me. We're not going to. Uh, it's not going to affect us one way or the other. Okay, Lisa Maureen McDonald was the NDP um, MLA for the district, and she has resigned, which has brought us to this uh, by-election. Now that the NDP has had a schism and a revolt, I would say, in uh, the last few months with uh, Maureen, um, very talented and in large shoes, uh, but. I would say she represented sort of the Daryl Dexter wing of the party, and now the current party leader Gary Burrell is is uh, more of a old school lefty. Where do you fall on that? I fall uh, where I fall in general in my community work, which is appreciating what everybody brings to the table. And Maureen has been a, a great supporter. She was out with me campaigning in the Hydrostone on Saturday or, or Sunday for the Natal Day um, pancake breakfast. And, uh, and, and I'm a real fan of Gary Burles. And, and honestly, it was hearing him speak uh, during the last leaders debate at the conservatory in the winter that really sort of cemented for me that this might be, this might be somebody um, and the, the right time. So, so you're not taking a side. No, I don't. uh, You know what? The NDP tent is bigger than that. All right. Yeah. Andy, uh, no offense, but does the PC party really have a chance in Halifax Needham? I think it does. Uh, The vision of Jamie Bailey and the PC party is uh, is really what's going to make or break this, make this province, really. The economy is what it's all about in this election. Jobs, jobs, jobs. And I, you can talk all the social prog- programs you want, but if you can't afford those social programs, where are you, what are you left with? That's a good segue into, into my next question, I guess. Uh, in Nova Scotia, it's sometimes, um, often, uh, hard to really grasp the political ideologies of the, of the various parties. Uh, I would argue that the last NDP government was to the right of the previous PC government, which itself was to the left of the current Liberal Party. Um, I, I think it's fair to say the uh, McNeil government has embraced a, a hard neoliberal I- ideology, cut taxes, cut government, attack unions, a uh, budget of austerity, and, and so forth. Where do you two position yourself against, that, against the current government in, in those terms? Uh, for for me and, and I think for the NDP, what what we are recognizing and what's resonating at the at the doorsteps is that the McNeil Liberals don't have much in common at all with the current federal Liberal government, and and that it, they have been attacking our community and and they've been doing it in a number of different ways, including by completely disrespecting the many, many uh, people in this province who've made their living through the Nova Scotia film industry and just making decisions uh, with a form of of arrogance that I found quite shocking. Um, and so and so uh, we are arguing for uh, a fifteen dollars minimum wage. 
were arguing for a free uh, first program at the Nova Scotia Community College. Um, we're arguing for and, and advocating for more affordable housing and, and for and for the provincial government to really be a partner with community groups and communities across Nova Scotia, which are working to to create a better future for us. And and for me particularly, I'm worried about the folks who are 15 years younger than myself who are, are struggling to figure out how they're going to make a living in this province. Andy? I agree with her first point on the film tax credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the PC government has undertaken to reinstate the tax credit in the com- as soon as they take power in the spring or whenever that is. That's the uh, first thing on your, on your webpage. Exactly. Yes. It's they're going to reinstate it and rebuild the industry because we've lost a lot at the hands of the Liberal government in that respect. And so that's that's a, st- a great starting place. And I meet people every day at the doorway who are impacted directly by the loss of their jobs. In fact, I've met, I'll bet you, a dozen in the last 24 hours who are standing in the doorway where they could be out working. And uh, that's what uh, the PC government wants to do is begin there. And then just yesterday, the uh, leader of the PC party, Jamie Bailey, introduced a new education program. He's going to, within 100 days of the PCs becoming uh, or taking power in the province, in the next election, within 100 days, he's going to introduce vocational training in all the schools, reintroduce that program, which was chopped many years ago, I understand, by the current uh, government. Or, or not the current government, but the liberal government. And so you need to give children options uh, when they're going through school because all children aren't inclined as academics. Many of them uh, have skills that aren't directly related to academia. And so if you offer them the chance to learn a skill in school, that is a great starting point. It's got to level the playing field for all children going to school. So, so vocational training uh, regime, uh, old school. When uh, when I was growing up, we had those. Uh, exactly. Um, what about the the question about public uh, employee unions and the real, and the McNeil government approach to that? Is that something you would move away from, or? Honestly, I, I'm not familiar with that, uh, and so I would digress to yeah, yeah. Lisa to speak to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, fair enough. What, what, are you, um, what are you both telling people on the doorstep? I'm listening to everything they're telling me, and I'm finding it very, very interesting. I could give you some stories. Uh, I was on an, at a doorway at Novali Drive, and, and a, a woman said to me when I asked her, any issues you'd like to discuss? And she said, yes, my daughter has a master's degree in education and she can't get a job, a full-time job. All they'll give her is part-time work. And there's a formula whereby you must have X number of hours. Let's say it was 200 hours. They will give her up to 170, 180 Mm -hmm. hours and then they chop her time so they don't have to pay her full-time wages. That, to me, is sending the entire wrong message to our young folks and our young students and our graduates. Playing games with them like that is what Jamie Bailey is going to end. He's going to stop. All right. Lisa, doorstop talk. Yeah. So some of it certainly has been about the film industry um, because that's a a pretty prevalent sector in in the north end of Halifax. 
um, also housing and 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 the need for a real complexity and spectrum of housing development in the north end so right now we're seeing a lot of high-end condos but but young families are often um, needing to move from a rental in the north end to buying a home in Timberley or Spryfield or whatever and and certainly what I've heard over the past number of years working in the community is that if someone is uh, you know in public housing and doing doing all right making you know working full-time it's practically impossible to find a home outside of public housing in the north end that they can afford you were you were both at the bloomfield event um recently and um that was uh, uh an initiative of the city which the um which the former NDP government put forward a proposal which uh, collapsed uh, under the current liberal government. Uh, uh, I think it's fair to to blame both governments for some part of that. What do you want to happen at Bloomfield? I Andy? personally want to see it move forward as quickly as possible. How, how does that? What does that look like? Well, I think they've got to they've got to come together sooner than later, and they've got to make some decisions. and And the planning uh, office has to get. Uh, the central plan in place or roll it out as soon as possible. We had that meeting last week and it preceded the central plan that they're trying to bring, uh, marry up with the Bloomfield plan of, what, eight years ago? I I wondered as to why we're meeting until the rollout occurs because they have to be married together, uh, so I'm told. And uh, when they do, I think uh, the people have to decide, decide, um, I think there were some great ideas last week, but it was just a regurgitation, what I heard, of what they had said eight years ago. Yeah. So what are we doing? I mean, why are we here spinning wheels? Why isn't there more action? Why isn't there a group saying, we can do this and we're going to do it? Why can't they convince partners and government to get on side? I, I'm just stymied by that. Uh, I mean, for me, I think... It's important to respect the the community voices, which have been organized and and working on the Bloomfield site for many many years, and 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 speaking to I think a real need in the community, which is for community space. And I think given the number of high rise um, buildings that are going up within a few blocks of the Bloomfield site now, it is an opportunity to think about that site, maybe primarily. As a school, I mean, I think I think a lot of people in the community are excited to think of a school and maybe a hub school happening on that site. Um, for me, uh, I, I don't have I don't have a particular position, and I don't think the NDP has a particular position on what should happen there. We do fault the Liberal government for really going quiet as a partner. They were a partner of of community. Um, community voices, community activists who've put in a lot of time, and they basically just stop talking to them. Yeah, um, Lisa, you you have a master's degree in something called development economics. What is that, and how does it apply to? <laughs> uh, development economics is is a program that you can do at Dow, and uh, I, that is a a product of me not realizing until this last term of my undergrad that I really wished I had studied economics more, and and also a realization that economic arguments were being used so constantly to justify political decisions and I just wanted to I wanted to understand it better to not be intimidated when I was told oh free trade promotes growth or or you know we right. must grow the economy or you know GDP growth is is what we're going for 
So I, I did a two-year program that allowed me to kind of demystify economics and realize, indeed, you know, it, a lot of it is politics. And uh, I have to say, I haven't really used it since. Oh, but okay. I used to know that okay. I used to know the equation I, I for what equals GDP. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to know that, Andy. Um, on your platform, you you say quite specifically that uh, you want to reverse a policy decision that the Liberals made in terms of cutting the the boots on the ground. Uh, program, which is provincial funding for more police officers, and you say you want more police. Now, the crime rate, it's at historic lows. Violent crime is down, down, down. Uh, the district you're hoping to represent has a large black community, which um, has at times been at odds with the police department. Uh, at times, it has worked well with the police department. But there have been the occasional charges of racial profiling and overcharging for offenses that might be overlooked in a white community, that sort of thing. Is this really the right time to put more cops into the neighborhood? Well, <clears throat> I believe it is. Uh, I mean, there was a promise made by the government uh, that they would fund X number of police officers for, the, for a five-year period. And it was funded up until the Liberals took office and they stopped this, this particular year. And they reduced the budget by $500,000. So that uh, that does hurt law, law enforcement across the board because you don't want uh, you you don't want to go backwards when it comes to law enforcement, especially when the challenges are are so great in this day and age. I mean, everybody uh, seems to be um, uh, an armchair quarterback when it comes to law enforcement, and uh, it's made it's made the efforts that the police are trying to make in terms of crime prevention that that much much more challenging. And oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Let me just stop you there. Um, we out in the public shouldn't question police? Oh, no, no. You Please, please don't get me wrong. They should. But if you watch what's going on uh, globally, uh, within seconds of uh, uh, an event, it's, it's on Facebook or it's on YouTube yeah. or it's gone viral. And so that in and of itself has made law enforcement very somewhat... Um, I say paranoid. Um, you can understand why, sure, because you're sure. talking about an event that they may not have known is going to happen, and within 15 minutes of arriving there, their 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 enforcement strategy is gone uh, because of somebody has taken the t uh, a photograph or a video and posted it, and suddenly everything changes in a moment in a heartbeat. And police are having to adapt and have to deal with that instantaneously. It's a tough spot to be in. Unda undoubtedly. I yeah. I'm, I'm just um, wanted to kind of drill down into your call for more more police officers. So. Yeah, and yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I, I guess I would just argue that I, I think that the resources might be better spent on more mental health resources in the community. Because often, in fact... That the Halifax police, in particular, are are being turned to because there aren't the the social supports in our community to yeah. to, to help people when they need it, and and so the the default becomes or the, yeah. or the the last resort becomes to call the police. Well, they're they're trying to do a job that they're not equipped for either. Um, so you know, more more mental health supports in our community, more. I agree. Uh, I agree. More jobs okay. in our community, less yep. poverty in our community. All of we're, that would be would be continue to help to we're, drive uh, the pushing up against some time limits here. So uh, let me um, uh, just give you each. I'm sure there's there are questions I have not asked and haven't thought of. Just 
quickly, a minute each. Uh, is there anything else you want to tell the listeners? For me, I'd like to make mention that uh, I'll give you an anecdotal story. Sure. I went to a, a doorway the other uh, evening, and a, uh, a woman was very, very stressed. When I told her I was a, uh, vying for the political office in Halifax Needham, she said, what about the seniors? What about the seniors? She said, my mother doesn't get proper care, and she was very excited. And we uh, took the time to talk to her. And uh, lo and behold, and I believe this, that there is a, a crisis right now in, in senior care in the province of Nova Scotia. I know that uh, the health minister has declined to acknowledge that, but I disagree with him on that, and I think there is a crisis. And the PC party is in, uh, finds it uh, themselves positioned to really improve that in the coming uh, year or two, and that's what they want to do. So seniors would be a big thing for me, and, and more facilities for seniors. Great. And Lisa? I would actually agree with Andy on that point. I think we do really have to be looking at a community level how we are caring for the seniors in our community, and certainly the cuts that the McNeil Liberals recently made to Northwood and to other um uh, continuing care nursing home facilities across the province is, is not a step in the right direction. Okay, great. I'm sorry that we have to cut it short, but I think we've, we've had a good conversation, and I, I thank you both for coming in, um, and good luck on the campaign trail. Thank you very much, Tim, for having me. Thank you, Tim. Okay. I've been speaking with Lisa Roberts, who is the NDP candidate, and Andy Arsenault, who is the PC candidate for Halifax Needham in the upcoming by-election on August 30th. We'll be back after this. That's a wrap for this week's Examiner Radio, the weekly podcast and radio show produced by the Halifax Examiner. I'm Tim Bousquet. And I'm Russell Gragg. As always, we'd love to know what you think. If you have comments on what you've heard or story suggestions for future episodes, please send us an email to podcast at halifaxexaminer.ca. Until next week, your phrase is...